but what a privilege. What an honor. What an anointing. Did you ever think, you, you, as you, where you are there, that one time you'd be in a building and Pastor M is preaching and, and, and he has come to spend the whole weekend with us. Did you ever, ever think that something like that is even a possibility at all, at all, at all? So ladies and gentlemen, at the mountain of the Lord's camp, help me with joyous Jesus Welcome, Pastor M. So give us a while. Wow, wow, wow. I've got some bodyguards. <laughs> Amen. Amen. But you should see my real bodyguards. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, they sent you. Okay. <laughs> Let me just pray. Father, we thank you so much because you're here. And we're just so grateful to be in your presence in the house of the Lord there is joy. In the house of the Lord, there is just fun. In the house of our Father, we enjoy ourselves. In the house of the Lord, there is anointing and impartation. In this house, we receive everything that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, just expand our spirits, open our hearts, because we know the mountain of the Lord's camp is still continuing and the best is still coming. And so we honor you, we bless you, and we thank you for we pray in Jesus' name, God's people say Somebody give a mighty shout to Jesus. Woo! Amen, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to just uh, say it's, like I said yesterday, it's such an honor for me to be here. And uh, I still don't understand what Abmoso that would cause me to be a speaker at the first mountain of the Lord's camp, but I receive the grace and the love for my brother and sister. Thank you so much for loving us and inviting us to be partners with you. Uh, when they ask the, the guest pastors to stand, you notice I don't stand because I don't consider myself a guest in Worship Harvest. I consider that this is our house. This is, uh, I am, this is, we are part of this family. And uh, even if you don't want us, we are here. We are here. This is our house. Yes, the blessing of this house is also our blessing. We have received it. And so we are very, very grateful to be here. I want to honor all the, the men of God, the women of God who are here, the pastors in the house. Let me just ask a special favor. All the pastors in the house, if you could just stand. I want to honor the pastors in the house. Pastors in the house. Can we just appreciate the pastors in the house? Let's give a big shout out to the, the servants of God in this house. The fathers in this house, the shepherds in this house, we bless you, we honor, we honor God for you. Thank you so, so much. To God be the glory for you. Thank you very much. Now, if your neighbor did not stand up, just ask them, do you really know, have you been listening to anything they've been talking about? Yeah, that was actually a trick question. I wanted to see if there are people who've been understanding what their father has been saying. <laughs> I ask again. 
Okay, can all the pastors in the house stand up? Yes! Yes! If there's someone sitting next to you, just pull them up. Tell them you need to know who you are. Come on, somebody. Come on, come on. Let's appreciate all the pastors in the house. Honor them. The men and go women of God in this house, we thank God for you. You're anointed. You are called. You're a father. You're a mother. You have an inheritance. You will bless people. This is your, this is your legacy. This is your heritage. This is who God has called you to be. Come on, somebody. Amen. Thank you. All the pastors can sit. Thank you so much. <laughs> amen. 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 Tell your neighbor, it's good to know who you are. Yeah, it's good to know who you are. Yeah, those days when people used to be congregation members are over. Yeah, they're over. The game changed a long time ago. The Holy Spirit has moved. We're no longer here to be nice Christians. We're here to be, to end rebellion and to follow Jesus. Amen, somebody. Yeah, this is what we're here for. Allow me to pray as we start. Father, thank you because you're here. Your presence is so richly in this place. You tell us where two or three are gathered in your name. Lord, we are many more than two or three. Those who are in this building and those who are online, Lord, we're here in your name. And so, Father, I thank you because I recognize a starring like this of the Spirit will not, will not lack opposition. The enemy has had us. And I don't even know if he has agents in this room. But right now, Lord, uh, with the authority you've given me, I just want to speak confusion and fire in the enemy's camp in Jesus' name. I declare that if there are any agents of Satan who are here, that right now we bind their influence in Jesus' name. We paralyze them. We speak a, a blinding and a deafening so that, Lord Jesus, they will not be able to carry out their mission. But instead, we ask that you'd open their spiritual ears so they will hear the word of God and they will receive it because they were created to serve you. And Father, we declare right now, open heavens, that, Lord, all the deterrents that have kept your people from living the life you died for, that, Lord, they will be lifted from this house and that none of us will leave this place the way we came. And so I invite you, my Father, I invite you, Jesus, our Savior, I invite you, Holy Spirit of God, just come now and move among your people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You know, one of my favorite times, I mean, I have to say my all-time favorite time at the Mountain of the Lord's Camp, and this one I'm just saying, can I say? And please don't take it personally if it's not you. My all-time favorite thing here was listening to Pastor Ari preach today. Oh my gosh. What? What a preacher! What? And you know what? I have, I've always known that this house has a powerful apostle. It was testified in my spirit that this house has a powerful teacher. The office of teacher is full in this house. It is, it is occupied in this house. And Pastor Ari, you have a powerful gift of teaching. And my prayer is that that gift will be felt in the nations. Uh, it will be felt across the nations. Yeah. I, I'm not saying this because you're Apostle Moses' wife. I believe that the Lord has put you here because that office needs someone to hold it. And the Lord has given you a powerful gift of teaching. May the Lord open many, many doors for you that the church across the world will be blessed by your gift. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for blessing us. Amen. Amen. After she preached, I said, this thing should just end. <laughs> she, has a, she has such a wonderful... I mean, when you're taught by a teacher, 
you know. When apostle, when apostle teaches, I feel like going. Like just go. That's what apostles do. They just disrupt your life. You wonder, what have I been doing all this time? When a teacher teaches, you, feel, you just encounter revelation. There was just an opening. I was like, Lord, I never knew. I've, I've just finally understood how to do altar calls. I didn't know before today. Now I'm like, okay, now I understand. From today on, just watch me. Watch my altar calls. You see, I'm following this teacher hard. This is, we, I told Pastor Kilonzi, from today, my altar calls will be different. That's exactly what I told him. And so thank God for you. I'm glad I was here at the first mountain of the Lord camp when Pastor Ari brought the word of God. That was such an honor. And uh, I bless God for this power couple. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, the other, the other part that I really loved was the skit. The, the skit was amazing, wasn't it? What, what a divine revelation that every time you're struggling to sleep in front of your Zoom screen, that there's actually other forces at work. There are always other forces at work. And as Christians, I think it was in the first day when Pastor Bithri was talking about spiritual things, spiritual realities. We need to understand that there's always, what is manifesting in the physical is always a sign of what's happening in the spiritual as well. Even right now in this room, your level of attention is very connected to what's happening in the spiritual realm. Yeah. There's, there's no disconnect between the spiritual and the physical. As happens in the physical realm is what is happening in the spiritual realm as well. And you know, it's interesting because uh, the Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It tells us that, isn't it? Ephesians, Ephesians what? Ephesians 6, 12. Let's just read it together. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's actually what they were demonstrating to us in a very eloquent... By the way, I'll never forget that picture. Every time I feel sleepy in front of a, a prayer meeting, I'll just be understanding that's what's happening right now. It's not me. There's some funny things that are happening in my house. And, and that's exactly what's happening. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Any offense that you felt in this conference is not about more. It's not about worship harvest. There are spiritual forces that are arrayed against your fatherhood. There are spiritual forces that are arrayed against you comprehending the word of God in this forum. The word that is here to free you and give you an inheritance. It's important for us to understand. And you know, Pastor Carol, when she came, uh, when she prayed yesterday, she talked about this new move of the Holy Spirit. What she senses is something that would be equivalent to what our parents' generation went through with the East African revival. And I want to say that, you know what? When there's a revival, even the enemy knows. Yeah, so don't, don't assume that hell is not aware of what is happening in this house and in this season. The devil knows. And in fact, the scripture warns us to be aware, doesn't it? In 1 Peter, what does it tell us? Just read it together. 1 Peter 5.8. Do you have it up there? 1 Peter 5.8. Let's read it together. Be alert and of sober mind. First, stop there. Tell your neighbor that phrase just now. Be alert and of sober mind. Let's continue reading it. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to... Tell your neighbor that's not you. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Let me just say this. The enemy is very clever. 
is very clever. I'm talking to pastors right now. In fact, the thing that I want to, to say, to speak about today is avoiding the enemy's traps. As we speak about sonship, there's revelation that is coming that brings impartation and brings inheritance. The enemy is not foolish. He understands what is going on in the spiritual realm. He understands how many destinies are about to be launched. Today we saw how revivals, this is, Apmo did a very interesting thing. He drew a graph. He showed how five years of worship harvest, one, one location planted. Then he starts showing you the graph, and you start seeing it grow. But I don't know if you noticed what happened at the end of the message. Because right now, worship harvest has 99 locations. Pastor Kamara is joking about being 99. It won't it won't, you won't be 99 for long. You won't be the last born for long. Because at the end of the message, we saw 200 people standing. That's, that's this. That's this. You move from 100 and you go to 500. You don't go to 120. You don't go to 130. You go to 500. That's exactly what happens. That's exponential. And that's what God is doing in this movement. It's not going to take the same length of time it took you to get here. You will find yourselves, you wake up one day, you find, you, maybe you travel for a month, you come back, we're at 500. The next month you come, we're at 3,000. That's what exponential means. That's what exponential means. That's what's happening in this place. In fact, the, why I told you this is historic, it's good for you to remember how the mountain of the Lord's camp used to be when we could fit into a building. Because a time is coming when we will not be able to fit a camp for worship harvest in a building like this. I don't know whether you're going to go to the cricket oval or someplace to be able to have a convention that can fit all the pastors of worship harvest movement across the world. I, I, you know, they think I'm joking. We've, we've, been, we've been to Nigeria with, uh, with Apmo and we've been to Redeemed Camp and at Redemption Camp. And the, the parking for their pastors, the pastors who minister during the Holy Ghost service, just the pastors who minister, not all the pastors, because understand, when you have 50,000 churches, you have 50,000 location pastors. How many are we in this building right now? Uh, is somebody beginning to get some revelation of what I'm talking about? Those are location pastors. So we're not even talking about the parking for, because there's no parking, that 50,000 is already a stadium parking. So just the ministering pastors, it was the biggest parking lot I've seen. Just the people ministering in the program and the choir. That's it. So I think I want you to just begin to understand that you're living in the days of small beginnings, even now. That there are things that are happening right now that are, don't get left behind. I love what the pastors here talked about. You know, you don't want to waste. You don't want to live in regret of, I wish I started a few years ago. I'm rejoicing for the people here who are in their teens and their 20s. Because they get to start early. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm so happy for those young people. Yeah. You're not going to have regrets of, I wish I started later. Because you will see results in your, in your youth. And God will be glorified. So, so I want to just say this. Listen, the enemy knows. He understands what's about to be unleashed against his kingdom. And that's why the, the Bible tells us, be alert and sober-minded. Tell your neighbor, be alert and sober-minded. Let, let me tell you this. Pastors, tell your neighbor he's talking to you. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want anybody. The people upstairs, I'm not hearing you saying it. He's talking to you. Yes. Tell your neighbor that. He's talking to you. Yes. Listen to me. The enemy is very clever. Sometimes he will not attack you by destroying you now. Sometimes he will even help you accelerate. And sometimes he will even accelerate your ministry. You know why? Because he understands mathematics. He understands that if he knocks you down now before you start, well, you're still starting with your little MC. He has only destroyed a few lives. But he understands when he starts to see things in you that are problematic, he says, let's keep this one. Let's accelerate their growth. Let's make sure they're noticed. Ah, come on, somebody thinks the Holy Spirit is accelerating their ministry. Actually, the enemy is the one accelerating. Why? Because he understands when you have a thousand and he strikes you, those are a thousand families that have been lost. He understands. And he also knows scripture. He understands that when you strike the shepherd, you scatter the sheep. And so not all acceleration is from the Holy One. Not all acceleration is from heaven. Sometimes the enemy might accelerate you because he understands. There are some pastors who have gone down and have brought down the faith of a generation. Yeah. There are scandals in the church that have caused many people to fall away. And sometimes I believe what the devil did is he saw this one and he said, let's not expose him now. Let's wait. Because one day when we do it, many more people are going to be destroyed. Tell your neighbor, he's not talking about you. Because you're different. Yeah, you're different. It will be different for you. And, 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 I, and I want to say this. I want to say this. Listen, it's important for you to understand that the enemy is real. And to understand the importance of your role as a shepherd of God's people. You know, today we're, we're just having a conversation. I was talking about my own nation, Kenya. Kenya has had some major misfortune. There's a border between Uganda and Kenya. It's a border that was invented by colonialists. It did not, in, we're actually the same people. If you take a blood, blood from me and Pastor Alex here, it, it's the same blood. We're, there's no, even genetic, there's nothing. You, we're from the same people. We migrated from Congo around the same time with you people. It's just that when you guys got tired, we continued walking and we found ourselves in Kenya. <laughs> You see, Kenyans are runners. We are still running even till today. <laughs> so, so, so here's the point I'm making. This border came in a place where there was no border. One day, these people woke up and they found your Uganda and we're Kenya. How did it even happen? Somebody in Berlin decided that we're no longer the same people. But watch what has happened because of that. We had a founding president. And our founding president and the president after him, they understood how to mobilize ethnic power to protect themselves. And so they set the seeds for ethnic negative ethnicity in our country. And so today you're going to find in Kenya, even among our younger people, am I lying for the Kenyans? You're going to find that ethnicity is the way we still mobilize politically. And as a result, we've had tribal clashes, 
We've had uh, every election comes, it's tense because we're afraid of what that tribe is going to do. And I asked my Ugandan friends, are you guys afraid of what the Buganda are going to do to you? Are you thinking about what's that amazing tribe you told us about that I'd never heard about? No. Look, look bug. Aish, is anybody here losing sleep because of what the look bars are thinking about right now? But, 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 but listen to this. It's just a line that separates you and us. What's the difference? It's because of the power of a father. Because national fathers have power. And these men, because of the choices they made across the border, they left principalities that today are spiritual realities that we are grappling with as a nation. That's the power of a father. Fathers have the power to bless, but they also have the power to release curses on a people. And I want you to understand that when you look at your life and you understand why is it that you're a target for the enemy, because he understands that through you, God can release blessing, but he also understands that through himself, if you collaborate with him, he can release a curse that can destroy a generation. Because you are, you are a movement leader. You are a movement leader. You're there to change the world. God has called you. He looks at you. Everything your father has done, you will do. If Apostle Moses is a movement leader, so are you. If he's going to change the nation, so will you. If he's impacting nations he's never been to, so will you. As far as I know, he doesn't speak Spanish. Unless there's something you have not told me. <laughs> but people in other places, in languages he does not understand, are being influenced by him. So shall it be for you. So shall it be for you. You don't have to work for it. That's the power of inheritance. That's the power of inheritance. The enemy knows this. You are the greatest threat to anything he's doing right now. And so it's important for you to understand how to avoid the enemy's traps. Tell your neighbor, avoid the enemy's traps. Paul says this. It's okay, sit down for a second because we need to talk about how to avoid these traps. I really believe as we're being called up to be fathers, we need to begin to understand the importance of our role. The importance of our role. I love uh, listening to Pastor Glory. Pastor Glory, you're one of my favorite people on the planet, by the way. I have to say it. I love your energy. I just feel like you're, yeah, you're just God's special child. And, 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 and she said something very interesting. She said until the day before her church launched, she was thinking a venue will show up. Then she realized nobody else is thinking about this thing. It's me. When, when you're the leader, all of a sudden you have responsibility. And so when you're called out to be a pastor, what, what Apostle Moses is saying is that there's a responsibility that now falls upon you. You need to understand that you're a father. The father is the one who loses sleep thinking about what the children are going to eat while the children are happily sleeping. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody who's led a church knows exactly what I'm talking about. My children have never slept any day in their lives wondering about whether they'll have school fees. They don't even know where that school fees comes from. They assume. They've never been in a conversation where we're discussing, by the way, is there school fees? They're not, that's not even their... What is that? School fees. When is the next holiday? Those are the kind of questions they're wondering about. Where are we being taken for holiday? That's what they think. Why? Because they're my children. Are you understanding what I'm saying? 
When you become the father, that's your job. You're the one who carries responsibility over your offspring, over the people God gives you responsibility over. Paul says this about Christian ministers, about pastors. Tell your neighbor, he's talking about you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. He says, he, and I believe that this is a very inclusive word, so when I say he in the Bible, it means she as well, must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, so, so Paul understands that there's a trap that is there for ministers. There's a specific trap that is there for ministers. And he's saying that these are some of the things you must do to avoid falling into the devil's trap. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Let's read that together. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There's a way that you're supposed to live. He's talking to leaders as well, to pastors. He says, live in such a way that even though they will criticize you, because you know they will criticize you. Oh yeah, it comes with the territory. They criticize your master, they criticize Jesus, they will criticize you. There's some criticism you cannot avoid. But he says, live in such a way that it's not you who's bringing shame to the name of Jesus. If there's criticism, it's because you are serving Jesus. And this is how uh, he's also saying that there's a way we must conduct ourselves as pastors in God's house. Now, I want to just talk about a few areas that I've seen the enemy attack ministers. Um, and I feel like these are things that I, I believe I would say them as caution. I would say them as just something for you to be aware of, to look out for. I believe that as this movement is being established, it's going to become a big movement. It's going to go across the world. And in those places, you're going to have to conduct yourself a certain way. And so as I share these, these, these thoughts, how do we avoid the enemy's track, uh, uh, traps? I don't want you to think of this as the people out there. I want you to think of this as me, as a pastor, as a representative of Jesus, as a member of the kingdom of God in this house that is called Worship Harvest and whatever other church you're part of. There are three particular areas that kingdom leaders are generally tested three particular areas. There are others, but these are three particular ones that I think are, are, are critical for you to be aware of. Um, and I'm not going to be giving laws. I'm going to just be giving helpful guidelines for how to live with wisdom because of the role that God has called you to. The th three most obvious places for me that I've seen ministers over the years, over the 30 plus years I've been in ministry, are money, sex, and power money, sex, and power. Um, I've seen ministers being trapped, people with high potential, people with incredible churches, losing their ministries like this because of those things, because of those things. I've seen churches that had the potential to change our nation, uh, churches that were powerful, powerful. They had everything that a church should have, Fruit, the, the gifts of the Spirit were flowing freely. People were being healed. Some of the great revivals that we saw in our nation were led by some of those fathers. And one scandal, one, one misstep completely finished the effectiveness of that ministry. And I believe the enemy knew that all along. He, he allowed the flame of revival to go up in that church, allowed the numbers to come, and then he struck the shepherd. 
and he scattered the sheep. These three areas are critical for us as God's people to be able to understand so that we can put the guidelines in our lives to avoid the enemy's trap. Number one, money. Let's talk about money. Money is an important thing to talk about. Amen. Yeah. Let me just say, many, many secular people in Kenya, I'm sure Uganda is completely different, but in Kenya, many secular people are convinced that churches are businesses to fleece innocent people of their hard-earned monies. Like, this is what our press believes. I'm sure Uganda, they really love the church, the press, and everybody. But in my country, the press believes, and the people believe, many secular people believe, the church is a business. It's just this way of taking advantage of people who are not so smart, and these charismatic, entrepreneurial uh, 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 con men and women have started these enterprises to take advantage of people who are not so smart. This is what they think. You know, it's interesting because I believe that we will never avoid criticism. I used to be afraid of teaching about money until I realized, you know what? Jesus talked more about money than anything else in the scripture, apart from the kingdom of God. The other thing he talked about a lot is money because he knew where your, where your treasure is, is where your, your heart is. He knew that. And so he was not afraid of talking about money. So you will never avoid criticism, but I believe there are certain things you must do to ensure that you live a life of integrity when it comes to money. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. It says an interesting thing. Let's just read it together. Read it aloud for me. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. What is mammon? What, what is that word, mammon? This is a very interesting word. It's a very unusual word. Jesus uh, doesn't use that word about money. Other places he talks about money. This word only appears four times. Four times in the entire Bible. It's an Aramaic term. And it was used for money, yes. But it connotated a little more than money. It, it talked about riches. It talked about wealth. But it also was a word that was thought, was thought to harken back to the Syrian god of wealth. Uh, this was a, it also had a spiritual connotation to it. Jesus was using a very unusual word for money when he said this. And the thing that comes to my attention is that he's pointing out something about money. That money is a neutral thing, yes, but behind money there is a powerful force. And there's a powerful spiritual principality that is attached to money. Money, uh, sorry, mammon is a force that is opposed to God and seeks to dominate us. It's completely opposed to God. That's why, that's why Jesus says you cannot, serve, you cannot serve both. You have to choose. You serve one, you're not serving the other. They are completely opposed to each other. Mammon is the power that causes people to worship money rather than depending on their creator as their supplier. There are many people in our city who, are, who don't believe that their, 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 their provision comes from anything except their hustle, except their bank account. And that's, what, that's mammon in control. When you start thinking that money is the one that makes the determination. Money is what makes you happy. There's a whole generation of young East Africans today that believe that the only way to be happy is to have a lot of money. Yeah, mammon, is, mammon is powerful in this generation. Mammon is in direct conflict with God. And listen to this. All finances are either controlled by the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. There's no middle ground. 
There's no neutral space when it comes to money. Your resources are either controlled by the Spirit of God or by the Spirit of Mammon. And your expense account is what tells us. If somebody was to see all the expenditure you've done this last month, it would be a very clear indicator of whether your resources are controlled by God or whether they are controlled by mammon. I don't hear any amens in the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your money, re- your money actually is what tells us who your true employer is. Yeah, you can be in church lifting holy hands and singing amazing songs of praise. But it's not your holy hands that tell us who you serve. It's your, it's your wallet. <laughs> it's your pocket. Your pocket is actually the true indicator of who you are serving today. And this powerful principality, it's the one that causes people to love money. Uh, Paul talks about this, 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, the love of money. Notice he doesn't say money. Money is neutral. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is a fantastic tool to spread the gospel. I pray that you will all have fabulous wealth. I pray that you'll have more money than you know what to do with. That your money will be there for the vision that God has given you. Because money is not a bad thing. But here he tells us there's a problem with something called the love of money. And he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I know many Christians for whom this passage is true. When they were broke, when they had nothing, oh my God, they were on fire for Jesus. Oh, they came early for church. They were there for setup. After setup, they came in and they did uh, ushering and, and guest experience. After guest experience, they came on stage and led worship. In fact, in the middle of worship, they'd go and grab, grab the guitar and play something and come back and lead singing. And after singing, they went and became part of congregation. And time of offering, they go and... Cra- Are you, am I talking to somebody who loves Jesus in this house? Yes, they loved God. They did everything they were meant to do. They, they went on evangelism. They did all the things everybody was doing. And then the pastor prayed for them and they got a job. Ah, <laughs> By the way, this sounds like a joke. But this, uh, actually, I have people in my mind as I share this illustration. People in our church. I stopped praying for people randomly, by the way. Because there are some people I think the Lord needs poor for a season. So they can, they can, because if they got rich, they would just, they would be away, they would, you'd never see them again. They'd be gone out of church. And, and, and I've prayed for people who would tell you things like, oh, but you know, cabinet meets a bit late on Saturdays, so Sunday's the only day I have to sleep in, you understand, pastor? Uh, my very important job uh, keeps me, f- ah, for real? Where did that job come from? Where were you when we, I was interceding to God on your behalf to get that job? Who advised you that that job, it's, it's, it's you who gave it to yourself? That now you can't come to church because you're walking your dog on Saturday. That you're taking your kids to swim. That's the one day they can go swimming. Or, or this, pastors, you've never had this happen in your church. Going to the salon to get your hair done on Sunday. This is the only time that your salonist is available. And your dog is a local dog and your children can't even swim. (laughs) And maybe even have a bald head. The Lord might give you a bald head so that you stop going to that salon. 
Where did that hair even come from in the first place? But seriously, I can't come to church. I can't serve because my business has grown too much for me to serve. Whose business is it in the first place? Like, I don't understand what enters people's heads. A little money, by the way, not a lot of money. A little money. Pesa kidogo. In Kenya, we say pesa kidogo. Small, small money. And the guy is not showing up for choir practice anymore. He's too busy now. His phone is off. Pastor is calling. You cannot even find him. Ah. Pastor, can, can't Pastor even see? Can he understand the kind of job I have? Hey. Boys to men are in town, surely. And my company is even sponsoring. <laughs> I, think, I think the people here are pastors. I, I, sense a lot of pain, I sense a lot of pain in this group here. They have been told all these things. <laughs> they, are, they are speaking with a lot of passion and pain here. Oh my God. And they're not even tithing. Ah. Because, because the tithe is a lot, surely. This is a lot of money. Now they start even spreading the tithe to many places. I'm, I'm giving the tithe to a children's home now. This money, what will they even do with it in worship harvest? It's so much. Okay, okay please sit down. Please sit down. You're, 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 taking, you're taking too much of my time now. We need to go in with this someone. Listen to me, listen to me, guys. This stuff that you're hearing these pastors talk about, it is the truth. And all our churches have experienced some of this. That people were blessed, and then all of a sudden they started feeling too important. And they're wondering, where am I, where am I coming? <clears throat> Let me tell you, the things people tell pastors, the things, and you know what? I've seen people who have pierced themselves with many griefs because of the love of money. I know people who have destroyed their marriages because of a little money. All of a sudden now, even he has no time for his wife because he's a very important person and who have destroyed their children because now they are, in, they are with important people and they no longer have time for the things of God and, and even their family. They've pierced their lives because of the love of money. This thing, this principality called mammon is real. It's real and it seeks to destroy God's people. So how do we avoid the trap of money? Ask your neighbor, how do we avoid the trap of money? Yeah, you need to avoid this trap. I'm going to give you just a few principles that I believe are hopefully something that will help you as a steward, as a servant of God, as a, as a father in the house, to be able to ensure that you're not a curse to the next generation, but you are a blessing. Number one, be a good steward of the money God has entrusted you. Be a good steward of the money God has entrusted you. I love the fact that somebody talked about SFFG as a discipleship tool. You need to understand, this is not something just to, it's, it's not, sometimes we think this is the secular stuff we do in church just to help us in our physical lives. And then the stuff we did on Sunday for worship is, that's the real spirituality. You need to understand that when you're doing SFFG, that is spirituality. And in fact, I would say if you're a member of this church and you've not done that course, I think you're, you're putting yourself in danger. I'm speaking now as a pastor from another church. God has given this church a fantastic resource to equip you to understand how to manage kingdom resources. Because you will be tested with money. Let me tell you this. As a servant of God, you will be tested with money. Do that course if you haven't done it. And understand it is discipleship. 
that you need to live beneath your means. You're going to learn things like those. You're going to learn things like how to always leave a surplus, to, to, to ensure you have a surplus in your life so you can be generous with what God has given you, how to save, how to invest, how to work hard. All these are discipleship and their spiritual principles. And you need to understand that you have no choice but to be a good steward of resources. You cannot be bad with money and a good shepherd. You can't. Those two things don't work together. You cannot be a good father and you're terrible with money because you will destroy the next generation. It's impossible. So you need to understand this. Proverbs 6 verse 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. I know there are no sluggards in the house. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer, gathers its food at harvest. Understand that how well you manage the resources God gives you is actually how well you're going to manage the people God gives you. You need to understand, you cannot be a spendthrift with your personal money and then be a good steward with God's money in church. The reason you find good stewardship here at Worship Harvest is because Apmo is a good steward with his personal resources. That's what happens. It's same, same. Yeah, it's not two different things. How you manage your money is how you will manage your location's money. How you manage your resources is the way, how, is the way you're going to manage the resources that God gives you as your church grows. So be a good steward. Number two, stay away from debt. Stay away from debt. The Bible says, Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. We talked about kingdom principles. I teach this as a kingdom principle in our church. And I say, the world has such clever ways of making God's word seem irrelevant. It uses big terms. Leverage. P pivoting. Arbitrage. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's borrowing. You're, you're borrowing money. You're becoming a slave. The world right now is built, the economy of the world is built on slavery. Every advanced economy believes that the, the way they advance is by borrowing more. And right now, many of the economies of the world are built on a house of cards. Right now, that we are, we, are all, we are all sustained in this generation by the U.S. dollar, which is the biggest house of cards there ever was. The U.S. dollar, it's such a strong currency. The only reason it's strong is because of the U.S. military, because they can determine how strong that currency is. When, when, when they don't have money, they just print more. If any other country did what the U.S. does today, it would be in hyperinflation. But that's the reserve currency of the world. And so they've taught us that you just borrow and borrow and borrow. You know, right now there's something very threatening happening because China and the BRIC countries are having a conversation about what if we stop using dollars and start trading with our own currencies. I think that is the biggest threat to the global order we have today. It's happening right now in our generation. Our, our president right now is having very, we, we pray for his life, by the way. He's having very interesting conversations because he's a strong Pan-Africanist. And he's having conversations with your president and other presidents and saying, why are we using dollars? Why can't I give you Kenya shillings and you give me Uganda shillings? Watch that space. By the way, right now, I don't know if there are things I shouldn't say on YouTube. But right now, I really think that you're going to see some major repercussions in Kenya. I really think that even the, the things you're seeing, the destabilization you're seeing right now, 
it's not really tribal. That's what they want us to think. It's because of the stand that he has taken. Many Kenyans don't know this, that there's a lot of power coming in to destabilize our economy. And it's because of the stand where he's saying, let's not trade. Okay, I know this is, maybe they should delete this from YouTube. I don't know. Iraq, Libya, they didn't fall because of weapons of mass destruction. If you still think that, you're living in your own reality. It was simply because they asked, why are we trading with US dollars? What if we change? The world is built on a house of cards right now. And the global order is trying to get us Christians to live in the same way, to be slaves in our businesses. And I keep saying, but God's word tells us the borrower is a slave. Why do I want to put my business into bondage? Why do I want to leave my children paying debts that I took on? What makes me assume that tomorrow the situation will remain the same as it is today for me to pay off my debts? COVID happened. So many Kenyans had taken loans with big, big, big plans for their businesses. And then for two, three years, everything shuts down. Let me tell you who didn't shut down during COVID. Well, the church was one. The banks also. The banks made record profits. The most profits that have ever been made in history by banks were made in this last three years. Why? Because the borrowers are slaves to lenders. They were repossessing all the money that people had borrowed for businesses with the assumption that they knew what tomorrow brings. The Bible says, don't presume you know what tomorrow is, brings. Only God knows what tomorrow brings. So debt is so presumptuous. And so I want to tell you as a pastor, stay away from debt. Proverbs 22, verse 6, 26. Don't be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for... Like, like, guys, this is a kingdom. These are not suggestions. Okay, I know you're feeling pain in my voice. I've preached this, and then you come a year later, and somebody's pastor, pray for me, pray for me. Why am I praying? They are repossessing my business. They're repo so, at what point did you not hear the someone I preached two years ago, and then I preached last year, and I preached last month? At what point was that a suggestion? And so, a year ago, I gave, actually, two years ago, I gave an instruction to our church, and I said, everybody in this church, get off debt, because debt is not the plan of God for your life. It's so interesting, because when we gave that instruction, uh, I had no idea that the Ukraine war was coming. And it came. And those people who follow that instruction, many of them have said, Pastor M, thank you. You saved my life. People paid off even mortgages. <laughs> people are like, we don't want to be tied to the system of the world. Pastor, avoid debt. Tell your neighbor, stay away from debt. Yeah. It's not helpful for your ministry. Avoid the devil's trap. Number three, pay your tithes and give your offerings as a leader. Let me tell you, there are pastors who preach tithe and they don't tithe. Yeah. They think that they are exempt because they are staff members. <laughs> they feel like people are tithing to us. No, 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 the tithe is not to us. The tithe is to the Father in heaven. As a pastor, if you're not tithing, you're inviting danger and destruction to your house. In Israel, the tithe was not uh, an offering. There's no verse anywhere in the scripture that says God loves a cheerful tither. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. There's no part of the Bible that says that. The Bible talks about paying your tithe. You paid your tithe. 
And the reason you paid it is because this is how, as a covenant person, you indicated that you were part of the covenant. It was your way of saying, everything I have comes from God. As I pay this, I am indicating it all came from me in the, in the first place. And he's the one who's going to sustain me with the nine-tenths that's left of my wealth. This is what you were doing. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. We all know this scripture, don't we? Let's say it together. Bring the whole tithe into my storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will not be enough room to store it. And then he says another thing. He says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Come on, somebody. God doesn't just say it, but he says, it is me who has said it. Like God many times, he just says things. But here he says it and then he says, says the Lord Almighty. Like it's still in quotation marks. He's the one saying it, then he says, and it's me who is saying that. And he gives you two promises when you tithe. He tells you, number one, I will open the floodgates of heaven. That's a powerful scripture. You know what that promise means? It means that he will accelerate your investments. That's what it means. Because if the floodgates of heaven, it's, it's exactly what it means. It rain, it's going to rain. Those people were in a, a, an agricultural economy. If you're in an agricultural economy, rain is acceleration. Because you have crops in the field. If you have no crops in the field and it rains, all you have is mud. I think I need to say this because some Christians think, but I'm tithing and nothing is happening. God never promised that when you tithe, he will give you money. He promised to bless your investments. Ask your neighbor, do you have investments? <laughs> yeah. Because if you have no investments, <laughs> God's power is a, mil a million plus. But guess what? A million times zero is what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a shock. <laughs> so, so even if God brings his million times power to your life and you have zero, there's nothing that's going to happen. So the first promise is that he will accelerate your investments. So you need to be an investor for that, for that promise to come through. And then number two, he promises to protect those same investments. Because he says, uh, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. In the, in the KJV, it talks about, I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Who is a devourer? The devourer is the one who would come after you've planted your field and you had no control, it would come and destroy your investment. You know, I always tell people in our church, when you don't tithe, you still tithe. Maybe this is what somebody needed to come to church to hear. When you don't tithe, you still tithe. You know what happens when you don't tithe? That's the time, that's the day when you feel, oh, you know, I don't have a lot of money this week, uh, this month, maybe next month, I'll see what I can do for God. And as you're, as you're backing your nice car out of the driveway, you just hear, and the devourer has just taken your tithe to the repair shop. There are many people who are inviting devourers into your life. You've just put on your nice, beautiful suit, and you're going to hustle. And then you shut the door on your, on your suit and you just hear and you've just taken your tithe to the devourer. When you don't tithe, you still tithe. You still tithe. 
Some of you are hustling so hard, you don't understand that there are devourers in your house that you've accepted in. Whenever my wife and I face a string of unexplained calamities, we always stop and ask, ah, 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 ah. It is a promise of protection over this house. Because he has said he will rebuke Devara. Let me tell you something. Devara is the one spirit you can't rebuke for yourself. He says, I will rebuke on your behalf. And so we come together and we say, sweetie, I don't understand. This child was sick. We paid for hospital. And then the car got spoiled. We had to pay repair bill. And then, ah, 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 ah. This is not our house. What's going on? And, and we talk about, let's go through our accounts. By the way, that's where we start. We don't start with prayer. We start with accounts. <laughs> we go through our accounts and say, ah, there was this. This might have invited a devourer in our lives. And when we pray and we give our tithe, we say, God, on the basis of this tithe, you have promised in your word that you will rebuke the devourer from our house. Lord, keep your word. And I tell you, that's the only prayer we need to pray. And devourers have left our house in a hurry because they have no place in that house. There's somebody who needs to understand that demon you've been binding, you have no authority over. Only God can bind for you. And this is the power of your tithe. This is the power of your tithe. And so these are things. I mean, there are times I remember one time, gosh, do I have time? There's a time, there's a time um, a, a couple of years ago when my wife and I were having some challenges financially. We, we had seen some things happening. My tithe and hers, <laughs> can this be said? I'm trying to think of how to say this in a way that's not... <laughs> okay. What, what we tithe is more than most than many people in this building make as your entire income. Yeah? Than many. I didn't, maybe not you, but than many. Okay? So we tithe, an, and we don't tithe 10% for us because our determination is to become reverse tithers. So we actually tithe somewhere in the region of maybe 60% of our income. Huh? So, 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 I wondered. Are we together? I, I just want you to understand. I'm, I'm teaching a principle here. So, so, so track with me. So we started getting this devourer in our house. And I'm asking the Lord, how can there be a devourer? And one morning, I'm just doing my prayer in the, in the morning. I wake up early in my house. My house is, an, is, a, is, a, my house is a portal, just like yours is. You just need to understand that. My house is like, it's Bethel. Angels ascend and descend in my house. And so I walk, every morning when I wake up, I walk around my house, I walk around my compound because I'm opening the door, I'm opening the, the gates. Because the Bible says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, for the King of glory. I do that every morning. I lift up the heads of the gates and I say, King of glory, come. Because God has given me authority to invite him into the affairs of this world. And so I say, even if you're not coming anywhere else in this neighborhood, this is your portal. This is where angels can enter this earth from. And as I'm walking around, I say, God, there's a devourer in my house. I don't understand how, because we're tithing, we're giving a lot of money. And then God gave me a very interesting word. He says, he told me, you've not told me what that money is for. I said, ah, did I hear that right? I went and woke, I told my wife, 
I don't, I don't understand. We've been giving this huge amount, but we've not called it what it is. You know, there are times people send me an, a gift, eh? my sons, and they just send. And I see the money, and I'm like, what is this? Is it uh, a mistake? Is it uh, money, their tithe came to my phone by mistake? What is going on? I don't understand what it is. And God is saying, call it what it is. Tell me why you're giving me this. So my wife and I nowadays, when we are giving our tithe, we say, God, this is tithe. The tithe we give, at that point, what we've designated is our tithe. If God could expand, if that was one-tenth of our income, I told God, I'm tithing so much that I'm running out of English here. The amount of money we call tithe, that we've designated as tithe, if God was to give us ten times that, okay, thank you. Thank you. Somebody has got it. <laughs> and what God was saying to me was this. Let me talk now to the one who has not understood. Call it what it is. Tell me, Father, this is your, my tithe. It is for this promise. I am claiming this promise as I give it to my Father. That's what the Lord was telling me to do. I tithe a lot more than 10%, which means that my house is open for a lot more income than I'm receiving right now. That's what, I was, that's what he understood. Am I making sense? Because tithe is 10%. If I'm tithing 60%, it means, therefore, that I should be getting... And it's what God has been doing slowly. He's just increasing our income to match our tithe. But I don't think he'll ever catch up because for us, our determination is always to be ahead of him. So, so listen to me. If as a pastor, you are not tithing, you are destroying your business, you're destroying your family, you're destroying your ministry, you're inviting devourers to run amok in your church and in your children's lives. And you're wondering, why are my children always sick? Why are my members always fighting? Why are marriages breaking in my church? Why are people committing to serve and then they don't come the next Sunday? Maybe you need to be asking, listen, what have I done? What have we opened up as a pastoral couple or as a pastor over this church because of our disobedience? Am I talking to somebody in the house? And listen, it's not just tithe. There are many, every giving in scripture has a promise. Fast fruit has promise. Understand promise and call out promise when you give the first fruit. Uh, uh, giving to your parents has a promise. Don't just send them money. It's an honor gift. Tell them that it's an honor gift. Even if they don't understand, your father in heaven understands. Because you've called it. And the Bible says you will live long in the land that God has given you. That's the promise. So claim the promise when you give it. God is not a liar. He keeps his word. Am I talking to somebody in the house? I don't know if I should do an altar call at this point. If you have not been tithing, you need to understand you're releasing demonic forces over your, your, your house and over your ministry. And you don't want to grow in your ministry right now. You want to make things right when you're still small before the devil pulls you when you're up there. Okay, can I move on? Can you guys allow me to move on? I don't know if I'll finish today, but anyway, let's see. Never take financial shortcuts or be involved in anything that could be questionable or deemed as corruption. Never take financial shortcuts or anything that could be deemed as corruption. Yeah, please take your seat, take your seat for a minute because this one I think is important. It's interesting 
that Christians seem to have sometimes a dualism. It's like on some, there's a, a, a thing at work where we say, but this is how everybody does it. I'm sure Uganda is different. Kenya, it's a problem. It's a major problem. In Kenya, you find somebody who is in their business. It's like we, we, this is, we have to, to get government tenders, we have to give commissions. And it's even, he even calls it commissions. He's even found a nice way to baptize what he's doing. And just says, but nobody in this, in this profession can succeed without commission. Let me tell you something, people. You don't need commission. You need divine idea. Have you asked your father to give you a divine idea? When my wife and I built our guest house, everybody told us, you will never get companies to come and use it because of the corruption in the procurement industry. They say you have to bribe procurement officers to be able to come and do it. But God gave us a divine idea. And what we did very simply is we did our presidential suit. Abmoa stayed in our suite. We, we, did our, we did our suite extremely well. But the reason we made it so beautiful is because we said we want to make it extra. And we're not going to charge extra for it. But that's the head of the delegation. Any group that ever comes to a house, the, the CEO stays in that room. And it doesn't matter after that what the, the procurement officer says. Because the CEO knows that is the house we come for retreats. That's called the power of a divine idea. We have had companies come year after year after year without even knowing who the procurement person is. And that's what you need. Some of you are struggling because you're thinking about how to hustle and how everybody else is doing it, as opposed to asking God for a divine idea. But listen, God says in his word, Jeremiah 17, 11, like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay, are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. Can I move on? I don't think I need to explain that one. I think you're calling destruction on yourself whenever you involve yourself in conduct that is uncoming of a minister. Uh, your, Sunday, your Monday to Sunday life, a Saturday life must be the same as your Sunday life. Number five, don't receive church money but ask people to put it in the offering. I'll say this, when people bring me a gift, I receive it. When they bring their tithe, I pray for them and tell them there is a basket, go put it in the basket. Because you know what? I don't want to ever be tempted or to mix my money with God's money. There's a man called Achan who found out the hard way that we don't mix devoted things with our things. That is God's money. God's money never comes to my house. It goes to his account. And it's very important. I know at Worship Harvest you've got great principles, but I'm saying this because there might be somebody listening to this and that was never taught to you. That your money and God's money are two separate things. And you never want to put them in the same space where you call a curse upon yourself. We, we don't mess with devoted things. I'm one of those people who understand the power of devoted things. You don't mess with devoted things. Uh, First Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know, some, I, I, even when people come and give me the money, and I have to take it because maybe they're running somewhere or the, the ushers have already closed and I'm the one who's left, the next Sunday I look for them and I give them a receipt. I say, this is your tithe receipt. Why do I do that? Not because they're even expecting it, but because I want them to understand, uh-uh, this was not my money. This is God's money that you gave to me. So avoid that appearance of evil. Don't separ separate God's money and your money. Number six, get accountability from your discipler when you receive a large gift. 
As you enter ministry, you're going to start to find people giving you gifts because you're going to, we're, we're teaching them honor. And people will honor you with substance. But there's a danger with that. And part of the danger is, I know as a human being, I might start preaching a lot more animatedly to this section of people here because they're the ones who really tithe in my church. They're the big tithers in my church. And so you find myself spending more time in this place and I'm giving them the points and I'm loving them and I'm visiting their houses because they're the tithers. And the big tithers, they have the big jobs. Amen. 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 And those people are wondering, what's going on? How come the pastor just seems to find this place more anointed? <laughs> because they're the big tithers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Pastors, pastors, be aware of these people here. <laughs> be aware of them. And in your churches, you have people like that. They're the ones who give the big gifts and they want you to know that they're the ones who give the big gifts. They even want you to know your church is there because of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are people like that. They want you to know that, you know, that gift I gave, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the big givers in the church. Actually, if I leave, I'm not sure if they can survive without me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and there are people who, who will want to leverage your attention because of the gifts they give. You need to be very careful never to be drawn into that. Never do that. Never, never allow people's gifts to cause you to discriminate between your people. You can't allow that. You, you must treat everybody with dignity in your church. Even if they don't tithe, preach at them as well. Preach with them as well. Give them everything you gave the ones who tithe. Because that's the way. I mean, God wants you to be a shepherd who has a pure heart. I've seen shepherds being corrupted in this way, by the way. I've seen pastors who become the pastors of the rich people in their congregation because they don't understand this principle that you need to get accountability. So whenever I get a gift that is unusual, I will often announce it to somebody who keeps me accountable. I'll say, hey, I just want you to understand that I received this kind of money. Now, I need you to understand, I sometimes receive very large gifts. Very large gifts. And they can corrupt me. I'm, there's nobody who's not corruptible. So it's actually for my good that I share. And somebody knows, Pastor M has said this, we're keeping an eye, we're, his heart is no longer, and they can ask the hard questions. That person has done this, is there any undue influence they have over you? And they can keep me accountable in that way. It's important to just be accountable. Who are the people you're accountable with? And it's not just your disciples. Sometimes even with your disciples, sometimes I do that with my disciples. I want them to understand. I, may not, I might tell them, somebody gave me a big gift because I also want them to learn how to handle big gifts and to be accountable and open when it comes to money. The devil wants secrecy when it comes to money. That's how mammon works. He doesn't want anybody to know. He doesn't want you to let anybody know what's happening. Number seven, don't lend money to your church members. Never lend money to your church members. You know, I also, I also say to your family members as well. This is a principle Pastor Caro and I have practiced for many years. If a family member comes and asks us for a loan, we go and pray and we ask, how much money do we have that we can help them with? And when we give them, we tell them, this is a gift. Should you choose to repay, we're not going to stop you. But we're not going to hold our relationship. Our relationship will not get messed because of this. We never lend something that will hurt us if they don't pay us back. Because that's how you destroy relationships. You allow the devil to come into the place of your relationships. I know many pastors who've wrecked their reputation 
because they lend to church members or they borrow from church members. There are some things you just have to keep clear boundaries between you and the flock that God has given you. They are not your flock, they are God's flock. And so even if you have a rich, even if you have a rich church member, don't be going to tell them all your problems. And tell them to pray for you. You know, even my children, the last time they went on holiday, ah, please pray for us. Things have just not been, ah, are they God? Surely. That's just exposing yourself and allowing the enemy to misuse you, to, to actually bring a wedge into your church. And then number, number eight, the last one, never allow money or gifts to be the basis of your relationship with people. And I think I talked about that earlier. James chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, it tells us this. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes. A poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, here's a good seat for you. Hey, James is so real, isn't he? It's like, here's a good seat for you, the reserved seats at the front. But you say to the poor man, sir, you stand there or sit by the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated yourself among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Money is a powerful tool for the gospel. Something powerful and a good thing. It can also be a trap that can destroy ministry. I want you to rate yourself right now on a, on a scale of one to five. Five being, oh my goodness, this one, I'm so grateful. I've learned so much about it. I don't think it's a risk for me right now. One being, oh my goodness, I think I've been pointing. There are things that God has just revealed to me that show me I need to, to take action in this area. One to five, you don't have to show your neighbor. Just be, can you be honest at least with yourself? Even if not with your neighbor, be honest with yourself. Give yourself a mark. Is it one? Is it two? One is I'm really seriously in danger. I have no boundaries when it comes to money. Two, three is... Five is I'm really safe in this particular area. Let's move to the second one, which is sex. <laughs> Someone seems happy about that one. <laughs> the world has turned sex into a very physical and biological thing. If you watch TV today, watch Netflix, sex is like an itch. You feel itchy and you scratch. It's a biological thing. That's what the world thinks. In the Bible, that's not what sex is. Sex is a spiritual thing that seals a covenant between a man and a woman. A covenant that includes God himself in there. It becomes a strand of, a cord of three strands that cannot be easily spoken. You, your wife, and the Holy Spirit. You, your husband, and the Holy Spirit. Sex is covenant. But the world has taught us that sex is purely biological. There's a lot of controversy about how much of the internet is porn. But I, people say anywhere between 15% to some people go as high as 80% of sites on the internet are porn. I don't know how, how accurate. But what I can tell you is that right now, the young people who you're conducting marriages for in your church, oh my gosh, conservatively, I would say at least 70, 80% of the young men you're marrying today are addicted to porn. That's conservative for me. Yeah. I don't know if that scares you. I'm a father of girls, so it actually terrifies me. Because our young men are growing up, and, and by the way, increasingly women as well, and are growing up completely addicted. And they've, they've, they've got a relationship with this thing on the computer that is an animal. It's a demon. And it has dehumanized people. And so when they see a woman, they see meat, they see 
they see something, they see a creature, they don't see a human being made in God's image, a sister to, to value and to look after. They see a sex object. And that's the world we're growing in. I really think that this demon of lust is just as powerful as the demon of Mammon, the demon called Mammon. It's another demon that has waylaid many, many ministers and destroyed their ministries. Powerful leaders in the Bible struggled with this demon of lust. Give me some names. King David, Samson, Solomon. I mean, these are anointed men, men who had the Spirit of God, men who had amazing ability to de deliver Israel, people who are the, the leaders of their generation to call God's people out of bondage. But their, their legacy was destroyed because of lack of boundaries when it came to this sexual area. You know, it's very interesting because Solomon himself ironically wrote a book where he warned his son about the dangers of sex, illicit sex. He says very powerful words, Proverbs chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Uh, he says, he's talking about this seductive woman. And he says, with, with persuasive words, she led him astray. Talking about this young man with no sense. And says, seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her. Like an ox going to the slaughter. Can you see that picture? It's just, his mouth is hanging out. <sighs> yeah. He's just following. He's just, his eyes are just drooling. He's, just, he's drooling. His eyes are popping out of his head. And it says like a deer stepping into a noose. And it says with a, until an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird darting into a snare. Like <laughs> little knowing it will cost him his life. And, 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 and the, the, the ironic thing is the man who was so, God had given him such wisdom to understand. He's the man who was probably the most promiscuous in the whole of scripture. And let me tell you something about the demon of lust. It is among the most deceptive demons there is. It's among the most, how can you preach a sermon like that and you're sleeping with 700 concubines? How? And you're expecting your son to actually listen to you. Like you forgot, the anointing left you a long time ago. You've even, you're just now operating on gifting. Do you know you can have gifting without anointing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gifts of God are not revoked. So you can be a preacher, they are preaching and people are being healed in the church. Because you have the gift. And by the way, I've seen this happening. I've seen ministers who have churches where they're still doing ministry. Their wife left them, they had an affair. They decided they cannot be held accountable. They cannot step off that pulpit. And they continued to preach. And people still came to their church because the miracles were there. And the charisma was still there. But the Holy Spirit left a long time ago. Ichabod. The Spirit departed. And that's the thing. You, you, this, this guy Solomon does not realize the Spirit of God departed. He's still there teaching and writing amazing wisdom. Not understanding it's gone. The Spirit of lust is a deceitful spirit and a destructive spirit. How do we avoid the trap of sex? Let me give you a few principles. Let me try and see if I can use the remaining <laughs> six minutes to finish. As far as possible, do not minister to the opposite sex when you're alone. Yeah? Even Jesus sent out the disciples in pairs. Yeah. So when that beautiful woman comes and says, Pastor, I really need someone to just lay hands on me and pray. <laughs> ah. Your brother is there watching you and where you're laying that hand on as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
He sent them out in twos. So, so as much as possible as a pastor, when some beautiful woman or any woman, if you're a man, comes to you for counseling, my goodness, this is why I pray for godly spouses for all of you who are not married yet. Yeah. So at least you can, have, you can have somebody there, you can tell the brothers, I know you like how I look, but go and see brother so and so, he can pray for you better than me. But even if you're not married, there should still be men in your church who can help you deal with the men in the church. And women in your church that can help you cancel the women in your church. You may not be the one with the problem. It might be the, the problem might be the other person. But you never, never allow that demon of lust anywhere near you. So as far as possible, just, yes, I see you. Let's talk about the issue. Now I understand, ah, pastor so-and-so, come and help me pray for sister so-and-so. She's talking about this issue with her husband. Can we pray? Let me just leave you change numbers and please make sure you, you reach her during the week and let's see how we can help her. Amen, amen. That's how you deal with it, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's how you do it. This... This thing, by the way, it's not rocket science, but many ministers have fallen because of that. Because trust me, if the devil knows you are going to grow a thousand people church, why won't he send a beautiful woman to, to take you down right from the beginning? Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, number two, let me move on. <laughs> I don't have time. As much as possible, don't cancel the opposite sex behind closed doors. Yeah. My goodness. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Um, this is a policy we have at Mavuno. You know, I, I remember one of, our, one of our pastors actually once was sued by a woman because she said he took advantage of her. And what helped is that this man, unknown to the woman, the door was open to his office, and his secretary was sitting there listening to the whole conversation the whole time. And also there was a window. And she could see into the office the whole time the conversation was happening. And he was very deliberate. The woman didn't know this because she was an entrapper. And she took us to court. And the secretary all just came and just gave her evidence. In fact, I took notes. <laughs> yes. Was this how the conversation went? Yes. And the case was just dismissed like that. Yeah. So, so, so understand, again, like when I tell you the devil will send people to entrap you, you need to understand, this is not, I'm not making this up. Everything I say is true. <laughs> Everything I say is true. I give you stories that are real, that have happened. Don't give people of the opposite sex rights alone in the car. This one, this one I know sometimes is tricky. You're coming from choir, you're the only people left, somebody needs a ride. And, 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 and there are times you just find yourself, but I want to just say as much as possible, make that a principle. Make that a principle. Again, it's not about evil. Sometimes it's the appearance of evil. You guys have newspaper, does the red paper still operate? Those guys have telephoto lenses. <laughs> yeah, all they want is just to show you in a dark corner somewhere in traffic with somebody else's wife in the car. And then now it's the burden of proof is up to you to, to say why you are with somebody. You are taking her home from choir. Can you see how that will play out in the headlines? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes we're, very, we're, we're just not wise in understanding what's at stake with our role. Number four, never discuss your personal life and marital problems with church members of the opposite sex. Even pastors. 
Even your pastor, if she's of the opposite sex, don't describe, don't talk about the problems you're having with your wife with somebody of the opposite sex. It's very dishonoring to your wife, first of all. But secondly, you're opening up emotional conversations in a place that is inappropriate. If somebody's talking to me about the issues they're having with their husband, I call again, sister, <laughs> Pastor Carol, come, come, come. I, I just call her, come stand here. Uh -huh. What were you telling me again? Sometimes by there, the story even stops being so serious. Oh yeah, we had a bit of a problem, but I thought it was a serious problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so make sure if, if they really are, if, if, you, if somebody has, if you have issues with your spouse or issues of a personal nature in that way, man, find, find a woman pastor if you're a woman. Find somebody who you can share or an, or an elder in your church or a, or a zonal pastor. Find somebody who's your gender because there are some issues you don't want to talk to somebody of the opposite sex about. It's just boundaries. Okay, some of you are thinking, mm, maybe pastor has issues. This one would not affect me. Number five, don't be in the habit of going on social outings alone with a member of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. That sounds very obvious, but I felt I have to say it. Because I can't tell you how many pastors have foolishly done this. Like, she's new in the church and I just wanted to get to know her. Ah. How how stupid can you be? How, like, seriously, you took her to have a drink to get to know her. She's not your wife. Don't do that. Okay, so how do I do it? Maybe I'm single, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a woman, and, and there are people coming to church. I need to visit them. Take someone with you. Yeah, take another, take another lady with you. That's okay. Take, a, take somebody else with you, and then it's, it becomes, you've, you've just created a, a context that has accountability. Again, remember, it's not about you. You also don't know what issues this person has come to your church with. So you're protecting yourself as well as protecting them. Number six, avoid being too touchy with the opposite sex. I know we're a family. We love each other, don't we? Yes, and this is a warm and amazing place. The revival fires of God are here. And because of that, I love, like, by the way, it's, it's a thing that you can actually feel so much affection for your church members because we're a family. We're in the worship team together. We're doing so much work together. It's an amazing thing. But I think it's also important in that context to understand that that's when our boundaries will come down. And the last thing you want as a pastor is to see affairs happening in your church. It will destroy your church. If your church leadership team starts to have somebody, his wife slept with somebody's husband, it will destroy your ministry. Take it from me. And so just, you know, if you, if, if, you know, I'm a hugger, personally. But the thing I learned is, if I have to hug, give a side hug. And, 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 and if, if someone's uncomfortable, don't even do that. If, if you're uncomfortable with hugs, come like this. And by the way, there are some people I come to like this because they don't believe in side hugs. You start here and they just roll themselves. <laughs> yeah. How? We didn't start there. <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> oh. You need to understand, there are some people you just do this from a distance. <laughs> hey, are we talking real things in the house of God?
<laughs> I am saving your ministry right now, somebody. Yeah. Talk, talk among your choir members and say, guys, we love each other. We are brothers and sisters. Our motives are pure. But we don't know about the next person who joins this choir. So let's protect one another and just agree. When we greet each other, it's either this or at the, at the, at the most. Shoulder hug. No, and not the waist. <laughs> ah, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? What are you trying to bring into God's house? <laughs> oh gosh. I know it says greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> the operative word there was holy, and I'm not sure about these holy kisses. Okay, let me give a couple more that I think might be important. Again, I think maybe it's not politically correct. Avoid provocative or revealing dressing. Am I, am I getting too, too personal now? Too close to home. Let me tell you what. The world has objectified the human form. God made you with dignity as the image of God. Something holy, something beautiful. But the world has told you, forget beauty, be sexy. And that sexy is what beauty is. And so the world teaches you, like, like, let it go as low as possible from the top side and as high as possible from the bottom side. And let me just tell you this, ladies. I don't know if you understand this about gentlemen. When you come with that belt that you're calling a skirt and you come on stage and you lead us to, and you tell us to lift up holy hands. Am I lying? Yeah. Yeah. It's not helping me as your pastor. You're not helping your pastor. At all, at all, at all. I'm supposed to be reflecting on the spirit and receiving impartation. But I'm also a man. And I'm just seeing things flowing. It's not the Holy Spirit flowing. Something else is flowing on the stage. That's not right. That's not fair. It's not, yeah. It's not, really. Yeah, it's not. Man looks on the outside. <laughs> Maybe you have an innocent heart, but man looks on the outside. <laughs> Tell you what, protect your, be your brother's keeper. Be your brother's keeper. And then, and then you sit at the front. And then you cross your long legs. And pastor is trying to deliver the word of God. How are you helping? How are you helping anybody? I, I know, I know that I'm not talking to anybody in this church, but I'm talking to the people who will come after you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The devil is alive and active. He wants to destroy our ministry. And let me tell you what, there are demons of lust that are released. Can I say this? I talked about 
I don't know if I can say this. Let me say it. The first time I came to Uganda, God showed me something. In Kenya, I talked about the demons that were released by our founding fathers and our history. There were also demons released here. And the, the history of this nation was a history of war. Your parents went through war. And what happens when there's war is that there's a generation of men that are decimated. And what happens when there's war, people stop living for the future. You have a short-term thinking. Because what happened is your parents had put aside savings in the bank. They were decimated. So when I came to Uganda, God showed me two things. Number one, money is a principality here. Because people don't know how to save or care for money. Because they were taught by parents who did not believe in the future. And so that's why I say SFFG is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. To change a culture. To change a culture. But the second thing that happens in a time of war is because you don't know how to, whether you're dying or not, people lose all boundaries. And they become reckless when it becomes to sex. And they die tomorrow. The AIDS epidemic was huge here, much huger than across that imaginary line. We're the same people, but people here were decimated. Why? Because of a spirit of lust and promiscuity that was released in the ugliness of war in your parents' generation. You must be the church that turns that tide. Yeah. We cannot allow that spirit of promiscuity. That's why some of the things that we are now beginning to print in our newspapers, these rugs now, we have Nairobian, we have a few others. Those things were unknown even 10 years ago in our country. But when I'd come to Uganda, even in the, like a long time ago, it's, oh, it's been common. People talk about sex escapades and who did this with who. And I'd remember looking and thinking, how do people talk like this on a newspaper? But now we're getting it. It's somehow it's being imported, unfortunately, uh, across the border. We must be the generation that says, not on our watch. Our children will not be destroyed by this demon. Our churches will not be destroyed by this demon. This destructive demon, we are taking charge and we are casting it out of our churches. In Jesus' mighty name, somebody. Amen. Amen. Please, please, please. I need to... Can I finish... Okay, my time has gone. Can I finish the last one? Okay, please sit, because if you're here, I'll just preach long. You're, you're inciting me. <laughs> you're, the lamb has won. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love that greeting. Okay, on a scale of one to five, with five being I'm extremely safe, that one I have taken all the boundaries, I've put all the accountability structures, that one, we're operating well. One being, oh my goodness, I realize I'm at risk with this one. Give yourself a tick on that one. You write it on your phone. We did it for money, do it for sex as well. Just be as honest as you can. The devil will whisper in your ear and tell you, no, no, let's not do this. Tell him, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He shall not have the, the last say on your sexuality. Number three, power. The last one. A discipleship culture promotes and is supported by a culture of honor. You cannot have a multiplying kingdom gospel movement without honor. Here's the thing I've discovered. In the West, there are many people who are experts on movements. They talk and they teach and they do a fantastic job. They have incredible tools. But the reason why we are not seeing multiplying gospel movements in the West is because of this particular value, honor. The culture used to know it a long time ago. And right now, it's a missing 
culture value. Actually, even in Africa, where there is revival right now, the countries where you see global movements, everywhere. Yeah. It's not East Africa. Because in East Africa, we don't have a culture of honor, naturally. You're going to see it in Nigeria. You're going to see it in Ghana. Those West Africans, they understand honor. Even secular people understand honor a certain way. You go to Korea, you're going to find global movements everywhere. For the same reason, they understand honor. You go to Brazil, you're going to find a lot of movements. Again, very honor-based cultures. You go to India, certain parts of India, and you find global church movements. Why? Honor culture. Honor is essential to movement. But one of the dangers that we call upon ourselves, um, it, it just comes. With every blessing, there's a danger that you need to watch out for. And the, blessing of the, the danger of this blessing, called honor, is that leaders can easily start to assume that they are more important than others because of the honor that is shown to them. People show me honor because I'm Pastor M. I receive honor everywhere I go. It's just the reality. But I have to remind myself every time I go, there was a donkey that carried Jesus. And people were shouting and saying, Hail to the King! Behold, the one who comes in the name of the Lord! And it was so easy for that donkey to start saying, Ah, yeah, <laughs> come on. Yeah. When I go, people shout. People like me. I'm a special person. Uh-uh, you're a donkey. <laughs> it's not you they're shouting at. They're shouting at the one you're carrying. Yeah. L let me say this. You know, I if I can say this, because this applies to sex as well. This was, I, ca I can say this even in the last point. One, one day my bishop, my, my spiritual father, had this conversation with me. And as a very young pastor, he said, Moravi, I'm going to tell you something that might be very humbling for you to understand. He said, as a pastor, you will always have girls attracted to you. And he said, it has nothing to do with how attractive you are. <laughs> he, said, he, said, he said, there are many broken people in our culture who don't have fathers. They don't have healthy husbands. They've never seen a caring man who understands God's word. And you'll be the only example of a masculine figure that they've ever encountered before they came to your church. And he said, they will see you and they will fall in love with you the same way that women fall in love with their gym instructor or their hair salonist. He says, don't take it personally. It has nothing to do with you. I said, ah, what a shock. I thought I, thought I was all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> Apparently, it has nothing to do with how attractive I am. Listen to me. It's going to happen to you as well. People will be attracted to you as a woman, and you will wonder, my goodness, guys just seem to like me. No, no, no. They like the anointing in your life. Yeah. So, so don't take advantage because these are broken people that God has brought to you to heal. When you see that as attraction and start taking advantage, start, start using that, you are now the shepherd who is preying on the sheep. And the Bible has very strong warnings about people who do that. It's the same thing with power. The, the honor showed is not about me. Every time somebody honors me, it's Jesus they're honoring in me. And I receive it because I'm a child of the king, but I receive it on behalf of the king. Yeah, so I'm not, I don't want to be falsely modest and say, oh, come on, don't clap. No, no, clap. Because I'm representing a power that is amazing power. And you need to, that, that power deserves the glory and that power is in me. I, I understand that. But I also understand that power is not me. It is not me. It's a very dangerous thing, this thing of power. The misuse of power is the way of hell. It's not the way of the kingdom. Matthew 20 verse 25, Jesus called together his disciples and he said to them, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. This is the way of hell. This is the way of the Gentiles, the pagans. That when you have power, it is for you to misuse and to make you feel good. Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom. And so he says in verse 26, let's read it together. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And what does, what does he say? Let's keep going. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. This position, this power, this anointing is not for you. It's to help God's people. That's why it has been given to you. There's a story that I heard about a man who wanted to see he was so desperate. He loved God so much and he wanted, he'd always wanted a vision. He had had people have visions of heaven and he's like, God, I want to see what heaven looks like. And I've seen people also have been shown what hell looks like. So one day, God showed up in a dream and took him to a place where there were two rooms. And he says, which one do you want to start with? And he says, let's start with the bad one. So they open the door and they go in. And they find an amazing place. They find a, a table with all the delicacies you can imagine. A beautiful buffet. And people are sitting around the buffet. All the way around it. I mean, it's like, that's not what I expected hell to be. I thought it would be a place of torture. They're all sitting around the table with amazing food. And he said, but I don't understand. God told him, look closer. And he looked and he realized something strange. Everybody had a fork or, an, or a spoon but it was longer than their hand. They had long spoons. So they would serve the food, but they couldn't feed themselves. And so he started to notice something else. Everybody was actually thin and emaciated. They looked like they were dying of malnutrition, surrounded by plenty. And he said, oh my goodness, I see. God says, let me take you to the other place. And they go to the other door. And he enters a room and there's a table with all the mouth-watering delicacies you can imagine. It's smelling so good, beautiful food. And people are sitting around the table the same way as the other ones were. And they all have long cutlery just like the other ones. But this time, they're happy. They're all laughing. They're all healthy. They're all rejoicing. And he said, but God, I don't understand. God told him, look closer. And he looked and he realized what they were doing. They were using the long spoons. But instead of feeding themselves, they are feeding one another. And they are feeding one another. And heaven is a place of sharing. It's a place of blessing. The power that I receive is given to me to bless you. Everything that is mine is there to bless other people. It's not for me. And you know, that's the thing about hell. In hell, people have, but they can't enjoy. Because hell is about selfishness and greed and about myself. My power is for me to elevate me. This one is dangerous, God's people. It's extremely dangerous. If the other ones were dangerous, this one is dangerous. Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but just like Jesus, you need to look to the interests of others. He continues to talk about Jesus had all the power, all the authority, but he made himself nothing. He took the, the, he's the one who, when everybody walks into the room, he takes the towel and he washes feet. Instead of sitting and waiting for his feet to be washed, 
What a shock. What a shock. How to avoid the trap of power. I'm going to go through this one really quickly. How do you avoid the trap of power? Number one, treat everyone with equal dignity as made in God's image. Treat everyone with equal dignity as made in God's image. I read the verse in James chapter 2 about the man in fine clothes. I don't know if you know people who, <laughs> I think Pastor Ari talked about this, those people who kiss up and kiss down. I don't know if you've ever seen those people. Yeah, when you come, they're like, oh my gosh, pastor, up, up, oh my goodness, you're here. Oh, our father is in the house, come on, let's. And then when he leaves, he's like, ah, stupid people, what are you doing here? It's like, the way he talks to the watchman at the gate, you would think it's a demon. You wonder, how is this angel transformed into a demon based on who they are speaking to? I tell you, this thing is true. I remember one young man I met once who had who was actually very jaded as a Christian and we, I began to disciple him and one day he told me why he had been in that state he said he used to do um, he used to drive Christian pastors and pick them from the airport when they're coming for conferences and he said I saw how these men of God were he says because you're the driver and you're the only one in the car the way they address you, the way they treat you the way they talk to you the way they don't even look at you you're a servant, you're just a serf and then when they go on stage, they exude love, godliness, gentleness, and compassion. They're flowing with the Holy Spirit and loving people. And then you get back into the car, take him to the airport, and it's the same demon has come into the car again. And he said, my goodness, I realize this thing is all fake. It's all fake. The leaders of this thing are all fake. They just come on stage and look happy. They say, oh, you know pastors have a nice way they introduce their wives, huh? The most beautiful woman in the room... My, my, my amazing darling here, look at her, look. And, and they say all these things. And then they say they would enter the car and they don't talk a word to each other until they get on the plane. And he says, I, I just realized this thing was all fake because it was just a show. They were treating people that they thought deserved to be shown a certain thing, but then they were there was no integrity. They treated some people one way, treated other people the other way. You need to be one thing. You need to be one thing. Same, same. What your children see in church needs to be what they see at home. Maybe I'm getting too personal here. Yeah. Yeah. If your children hate ministry because of how you're never there with them and how you love everybody but you don't love them, there's a major problem. And I can tell you, this is an epidemic among pastor families in many places. Not here in Worship Harvest. Praise God. Amen. Number two. See your role as service and not position. See your role as service and not position. Jesus talks about the, the lords of the Gentiles and how they lord it. He says, Jesus, if you want to be first, you must be your slave. Je Matthew 20, 28. Just to, to, yeah, 28, verse 28. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to set us an example of leadership. He's an amazing leader. He has all authority. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't pretend. He doesn't have false humility. He says, it is right for you to call me Lord because th that is who I am. That's a powerful thing for someone to say that. It's like, you're calling me Lord. Actually, you're right. I am your Lord. But he says, but you know what? As a leader, I serve. You will not be like the lords of the Gentiles. It will be different in the church. My goodness, I pray that among the people in your church, they will know you as the pastor who loves, the pastor who serves, the pastor who does not see their position as something that elevates them, even in your business. 
that you would not be known as that CEO who is aloof, who is different when there are people who come in who are, who are visitors and then rough with your staff. Some of us have a tongue that needs to be exercised. <laughs> I can tell you, by the way, as Pastor M, I never see how my people really are. Unless the Holy Spirit shows me. Because everywhere I go is best behavior. We always say in our, in our country, the president doesn't even know that there are potholes. They choose the roads that they're going to take him on. He believes his country is perfect. I learned as a leader a long time ago that I don't actually, what I'm seeing here in this room is not what's going on in my church. I have to get into the bottom and talk to the people at the bottom. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I talk to the watchmen at Mavuno. I just find out how are they doing. I talk to the groundsmen. How, how are people treating you in this place? What's a re and by the way, they have a lot to say sometimes. Yeah, I think Vitukwa ground is different. What you're seeing, what people are showing you is very different. As a leader, don't just be stuck in your little ivory space. Walk among your people. Get to see whether what you're being shown is what's actually going on. Number three, be accountable and open to challenge and correction. Be accountable and open to challenge and correction. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Who is sharpening you? Who's the person who's sharpening you as a leader? You know, sometimes people may be tiptoeing around you, afraid to say what's really happening because they don't, they're not sure that you can handle the truth. Uh, and I found that as leaders, sometimes people don't even actually want to tell you what's going on. They, they kind of pretend everything is okay. You need to be open. You need to actually invite the challenge. I've had the opportunity to be asked hard questions, even by my disciples. And I tell them, ask me the questions. Um, one of them asked me not long ago, Pastor M, I, I remember I bought a new car and the person asked, how, how did you afford a car? They were not asking to question me. They were just like, help me see. But I've given them the permission to ask me those questions. I've said, ask me. If you see something that doesn't seem like you understand, I trust you enough to know that you can ask me and I'll show you how it came. I say, if you, if you, want, to un if you want to understand how come I'm so wealthy, ask me. I, only, I believe the only people who don't share secrets of how they became wealthy are witches. Yeah. And there are no witches in the house. By the way, I, here's why I say that. Where, where I get my divine ideas, there are many more coming. If you copy what I'm doing, you can't keep up with me because tomorrow I'll have already received divine strategy to keep going. If you're just copying me, you'll always be a, a poor copy of me. So listen for your own divine ideas. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So I'm not even afraid of people coming and seeing how I make money. I'm even, I, I even want them to try and make money that way. If it can help them, I'm very happy to do that. But ask people, ask invited, and then learn to apologize when you do wrong. Yeah, as a leader, you must not be too important to say sorry. I've said sorry to my staff team several times, many times actually. I've said sorry to my staff team in tears as I cried because I'd made decisions that hurt them, hurt their families, and I realized too late that it was not a good decision. And I've come back and I've said, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I made that decision. It was the wrong decision, but I'm a leader. And I don't regret that I made a decision, but I regret the pain the decision brought you. And, I, and I've learned a lesson. And it's not because I didn't listen or because I, I really thought I was following the Lord, but I can see now that there's something I could have done to mitigate your pain as you followed. Because you know what? Leaders move fast. Leaders move fast. 
But sometimes as I move fast, I may neglect to see something that will hurt my people. And the minute the Holy Spirit shows it to me, I want to be the first one. I, I even apologize, we've apologized to our children, our biological children, our physical children, and said we're sorry. There are decisions we've made here that are not right, or that have hurt you. Sometimes it's just that they've hurt you. We're sorry about that. Yeah, we grew up. Some of you are trying to imagine your father apologizing to you. I lost you at that point. <laughs> Hashtag African fathers. Hey! <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let me tell you this. If no one can challenge you right now, when things blow up in your ministry, there will be nobody who can help you. And I've seen that in our city. Ministers blow up, and because you've built yourself such a reputation that you're un un untouchable, then when you blow up, even other ministers step away because you never invited them there when you were doing well. And people are just like, we, we don't even know if we're welcome to go and help this brother who has, who has blown up. And so be open and, uh, to, to criticism, and cor I mean, to, to, to correction and be accountable. Number four, don't bully others through fits of rage and outbursts. Don't be a bully. Leaders can do this. Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Um, I think many people have learned leadership from the way of the world, where you power up and you shout at your servants, you shout at the people who are below you, 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 you want to make them know that you're the leader. But that's the way of the world, that's the way of the Gentiles, it's not the way of the kingdom. And so learn to, to, to not bully. And, and, and one, one of the things, one of the best things you can ever do with your leaders, for one, one day, try this, alright? Have a leadership meeting with your core team, and then just tell them, let's go around and just affirm one another and say why this person's gift is so amazing to our team. And I'll start. I want you guys to tell me why you think I'm so amazing. And then we'll go around to every single person. And then when we are done, I want you to say one thing that this person does that could really harm this team on the long term. And I'll start. I want you guys to speak to me. Okay, first of all, some of you, your team members, will not talk to you. They know it's a career-limiting move. <laughs> but I can tell you, it's such a refreshing thing when you do that with a team. I've done it with my team. They've told me things that are true about me because I'm a, I know myself. I'm human. I'm choleric. And there are things I do that can actually hurt Mavuno long term. And they've told me, out of love for the church, here's something you do, Pastor N, that could actually hurt us and has hurt us. And I've apologized for it. And by doing that, it's allowed me to be able to say, and you, here's where I think you have an issue that hurts our team. And because, because I listened, they're willing to listen to me without being defensive. So, so how do you create that context where you don't become the bully? That you're always so walking around that everybody's afraid of you in the organization. People are afraid of your anointing as if you're not a human being. You're a human being. Yeah, my anointing, yes, I'm the father of this house, but you also are anointed. Are you understanding? Everybody here is anointed. The only reason God called me, he called me to be the father, but he doesn't make me greater than you. We are all children before him. And if we create a context where somebody can speak into your space, of course, I'm not saying open a space where anybody can walk out of the street and call you names. That's not appropriate. There's permission given. There are people that you need to invite into a space where they have meddling rights. 
Who are those mentors that you can say, listen, I want you to be able to call me out and ask me questions. Ask me questions about my marriage. Ask me questions about my finances. I want somebody who, I can, who can ask me questions. Uh, very few leaders actually proactively look for accountability in this way. On a scale of one to five, okay, I'm finished now. On a scale of one to five, let's talk about power. One is, oh my goodness, I've just been exposed. The Holy Spirit is showing me I've got much work to do. And that's okay, you're being honest before your father right now. Five is, oh my goodness, this one has never been an issue for me. I'm, I'm as close to Jesus on this one as anybody else in the world. Uh, me and Jesus are like this. We're like neck to neck on this humility game. Yeah? Amen. Can we stand up to our feet? Yeah. Amen. Allow me to pray. Father, I thank you for your children. I thank you for the revival in this house, in this region. I thank you that, Lord Jesus, you are so... You're more passionate about what is going on here than any of us could ever be. But I thank you that, Lord, you also want us to be wise in this season. That we will walk well, avoiding the appearance of evil. Walking as people who are wise, not foolish. Not allowing the enemy space to come into our ministries and to destroy them. I pray that, Lord, as we walk in integrity, as men and women of character, that this church, these people today will be known in time to come as men and women of God, men and women who walked with God, men and women who are beyond question in character, that, Lord, there will be a change in our generation because of the people in this house. Father, we love you. We offer ourselves to you that you will use us. And we pray this in the mighty and matchless name of our Lord and Savior Jesus and God's people say, Amen. Wow. Can we appreciate Pastor M? This is the mountain of the Lord's camp where we keep it real. Wow. Kumbe, the devil can be there on accelerating you so he can uh, expose you later to bring many down instead of you alone. Far from me. So, but you've taken note of the points. Money, sex. There is one solution they didn't give us on the sex part. Marry, don't ban. That, 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 that's, that's Paul's counsel. Yeah, so those of you who are just eating chips, chicken, chili sauce, chips, chicken, chili sauce, chips, chicken, chips, 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 chili sauce, chips, chips, chili sauce, chips, chips, chili sauce, chips, chips, chili sauce, chips, chips. Anyway, we are, we are going for lunch. But that was counsel from a parent. Yeah, there are things that they don't come from an instructor. They come from a parent. Do you receive it? I received it. I've seen my points where I need to work on some stuff. Yeah, for the angels in the room, you're welcome. 